Guten Morgen. That's good morning for y'all that don't know uh, German. <laughs> that's about the extent of my German, though. So <laughs> that's how uh, how uh, linguist how lingual. That's the, that is an example of how lingual I am. I use a word called lingual. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Morning, everybody, uh, or good evening, or whenever you do listen to this, or wherever you do listen to this. Uh, for me, it's morning in Ningbo. I'm looking out into extremely dark skies uh, from my uh, desk in my office. I see uh, a few flecks of snow. We were supposed to get piles and piles of snow. In fact, all the areas around us are chiming in on their WeChat saying, uh, you know, how much snow they have. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we are suffering through drizzle most of the r- snow time, and looks like at the tail end we're getting a couple of little flecks of snow. Luckily, my office has a beautiful fish tank, which I can kind of uh, turn my chair about 20 degrees from looking out the window to looking at my fish tank, which is uh, my hobby when I'm, when I'm lo- landlocked. And it's a, a reef, reef, ocean reef tank with uh, some beautiful, colorful fish and corals. And, and I'll get to uh, a story later that will delve in a little bit more into uh, the fact that I will be seeing much more of the coral and fish and tropics coming up soon. But uh, let me kind of continue on from that last podcast I left, which I was walking home speaking about um, the uh, fact that I couldn't quite get uh, the, get on, uh, catch my stride with regards to uh, getting in shape, getting ready for Everest. Um, today, uh, I am on my ninth or 10th training regiment with uh, this new guy that I have found almost right after uh, doing that last podcast. And my legs, my hips, my pelvis, and my back are all screaming <laughs> in, in a good way, the way it should be, um, because I have been uh, working out pretty steadily every day since uh, my last podcast. Uh, unfortunately, the outside weather has been keeping me from doing my outside regiment, which would be running and hill running and things like this. And instead, I've just been doing the stairs uh, inside. But uh, at least I have a step forward and found somebody. What had happened is I put the word out to a few of my friends and said, hey, is there anybody around that, that can speak English and that has a gym or access to a gym that can help me train? The problem in China is uh, there's a few gyms. There's a few gyms. And they're open Get get this hours. These gyms here in China, I don't think they understand the fact that exercise should happen before or after work or late, you know, times when you're not working. But the hours of most gyms in China open at 10 o'clock, close at uh, 8 or 9 o'clock. So <laughs> it doesn't leave a lot for uh, working out and working it into your daily, you know, work schedule, unless you literally live, 
next to the gym or work next to the gym. And then you can kind of take your lunch break. And instead of eating lunch, you can go and work out. Uh, luckily, I'm kind of self-employed. I have my own thing. I can I can work my schedule. But, you know, I used to really enjoy going to the gym early, like at seven o'clock. And then you finish and you're all excited and ready to go to work. And, and then or after work, maybe after dinner, late, you know, maybe going at 10 o'clock p.m., uh, I used to live in Vegas and, uh, they had 24 hour gyms all over the Las Vegas athletic club. And man, it was so nice to do that. Anyways, I put the word out to a couple of my friends, trying to find a place with, oh, oh, some, somebody that understands English and also has got a good head on his shoulders because the gyms that are open from 10 to eight are staffed by, I don't know, they're like robots. They only have a specific regiment that the gym has taught them to, to teach or train and they really don't assist. I mean, I, I probably, I, I know more as far as, you know, the movements than they do in, in many cases. Uh, but a friend of mine, Jeff, uh, here in, uh, Ningbo said that he had a friend, the Chinese guy that was opening up a gym in Yinjo. turns out that it was very much adjacent to my office building. And so I called him up. I met with him and uh, he specializes in CrossFit. Now, um, I've seen a lot about CrossFit in the news. There's some pros and some cons. Some people say it's too rigorous and you're throwing weight around somewhat dangerously. But uh, I hear a lot of good things about it as it's a it's a mixture of heavy, heavy lifting, uh, aerobic and anaerobic kind of exercises. And I thought that might be a nice mix, uh, for getting ready for Everest, you know, um, muscle, dense muscle requires oxygen to, uh, work, you know, so I'm not looking to become a behemoth before Everest. Uh, to be honest, every pound I lose is less weight that I have to carry on my body up the mountain. And every, uh, every large muscle that I have to feed with oxygen is something that's going to take away from me when I, uh, get in that oxygen starved environment. So what I need to be is I need to be thin and lean and, um, my joints need to be, uh, at their best. So, uh, going to a CrossFit regiment seemed apropos and I met this guy, he's Chinese, uh, but he lives, uh, has lived in, uh, San Francisco and he trained from people in the States as well as Shanghai for CrossFit. And, uh, he was attentive. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, and he's, and he was cheaper than the, uh, training people in the gym. And I didn't even have to pay a gym fee because it's his own, it's his own location. So I pay less per class than I would say at a, at a professional gym. And, uh, I don't even have to pay a gym fee, which is nice. So the first day uh, I went there, we started doing um, some squats. And uh, 
the thing that I realized is that I had been working out a long time. Ever since I was young, I was on the swim team. I, uh, I was uh, captain of my swim team. So I was, you know, kind of a leader in, in that, but I, I exercised a lot throughout my life, especially earlier. And so I thought that I knew these movements, but uh, this guy is kind of breaking me down and showing me the correct way to do things. And I, I, I have decent posture, but when it comes to, say, doing a squat, which is I've never really enjoyed squats. Squats are a pain in the ass, literally and figuratively a pain in the ass. But when you do them correctly... Um, with your knees out and squatting so your knees don't go over your toes. You know, if you look straight down, your knees should never go over your toes. Not never. I mean, there are certain movements where they can, but on, on in most cases, when you're doing a squat, you should be, you know, focusing on your center of balance. And so he has been focusing on these things and focusing on helping me to get my movement correct and use my core to move my body as opposed to using my knees and my my legs you can actually use your core a lot more and it's kind of like taking a step back to take a step forward and I'm very glad that I I'm doing this now I wish I was doing it a month earlier because right now we're actually going through the breakdown each movement and make sure that I do it correctly um, and next month is going to be, okay, now that all those movements are correct, let's just punch through and really build some strength. Uh, so I've got, I've got two good solid full months that I can work out this way. Unfortunately, half of that time has to be kind of understanding the movements. Now, uh, I told him yesterday, I said, uh, you know, I, I'm happy that we're learning these movements, but for Everest and to be prepared for Everest, I feel like I'm wasting time learning movements as opposed to uh, strength training, which would be something that I would use on, on the mountain. And he looked at me and said, you know, where are you feeling pain right now, even with the learning the movements? Because each each time I go to training, we learn and we, we study movement and then we do a full exercise. It brings my heart rate way up for a considerable period of time and gets me into like actual workout mode. I, I ended up, you know, steam coming off my head, uh, you know, all the time. So it's good. It's good. It's actually working me out, but it's not necessarily giving me the uh the extent of workout, I end up spending half the class learning. And he says, where are you, where are you, where's your pain? And I says, well, new areas, areas like my groin, areas like the back of my knee. And, and, uh, and let me preface this with not bad part of my knee, not like my knee doesn't feel bad. It's like muscles around my knee, supporting muscles, supporting ligaments are actually becoming strengthened. And I'm saying that's where my pain is. He's like, that's because He's helping me to build muscle that will directly influence my climb uh, on Everest. And by kind of taking a step back now and working out those areas that I hadn't really focused on previously, it's going to get me into prime shape for Everest. Now, the other thing that he's doing is he's focusing because when I met him, I told him that I, I, I had this knee problem and I have Everest. 
So he adjusted the standard CrossFit training regimen to accommodate my goals, which is really great. As a matter of fact, uh, we're doing less heavy lifting, more uh, more strength training stuff that's like lighter weight, but more reps, more joint building on my knees. He's adjusting, you know, the squat ratio, squat uh, um, stances and things to accommodate my knee. And he's really uh, intuitive, and I, I really appreciate it. I think I uh, stumbled on a on a, a solid, solid routine. Uh, the other thing that's great about it is two thirds of the training session is training, and then one third of it is fully uh, like uh, therapy. He lays me down on the ground, and he uh, takes a rolling bar, like a like a, a, a typical uh, bench press bar. It's really heavy. It's like forty. 45 pounds and he lays it on my uh, thighs and inner thighs and outer thighs and up around my knee and he rolls it and it's like kneading my leg. It has me <laughs> like gritting my teeth and almost in tears every day, but it gets less and less every day. And what he's doing is he's, he's really, really working out the knots that I have in my legs and, uh, the movements coincidentally are very similar to the movements that were given to me by my therapist in the States. So I'm getting this weird uh, combination of uh, a training regimen that's going to help me forever as well as a therapy regimen that is going to help me heal my knee up. Already, I feel much stronger in my, uh, in my knees and my hips and uh, in my core. And I think that climbing Everest is an extreme core exercise. A lot of repetition, a lot of uh, utilizing these these muscles in the center of your body, and a lot of uh, movement in muscles you might not necessarily use ordinarily. I mean, yeah, when you're climbing a mountain, you've got a loaded pack on your back, you're taking very slow steps, and you're breathing, and it's an endurance game, you know. So the uh, exercises that we're doing right now, like uh, yesterday, uh, we had been doing squats for the better part of the last 10 days, but now we're switching to uh, lifts. And uh, like I'm, like yesterday, we were doing, uh, like, not cleans, but uh, um, deadlifts and uh, these sort of back workouts. And uh, he's giving me also, every time I go to the class, I, I learn something, which is great. I don't normally uh, learn so much from my trainer. And uh, to find one here in Ningbo and someone that's so close is uh, really awesome. So uh, it's it's been a good yet painful uh, last a week and a half. Now, the problem is that I was planning to balance a training regimen inside with a training regimen outside and have uh, half of my time be spent in the gym and the other half be, you know, throwing a heavy pack on and uh, doing some walking around the park or, you know, doing some stuff outside. Well, uh, the weather here has been, it's not just the weather, it's just the pollution has been so bad that you can't necessarily go out. So... Uh, the day after tomorrow, 
Annie and I are uh, headed to Krabi. Krabi is a uh, part of southern Thailand. There's an island portion of Krabi, but also a mainland portion. And uh, we are going to go to an island and spend the next two weeks uh, in paradise. Give me a chance to go outside, do some uh, beach running. Now, beach running is really good because not only does it, uh, it forces your ankle to try and find balance because the surface is not, uh, is, it's not flat. So you're always trying to uh, fix, fix a perfect balance. For me, I think it'll be great as far as preparing for Everest. It'll allow me to get some vitamin D, which I have been lacking recently. And uh, it'll allow Annie to relax and rest a little bit. So um, the reason why this is a good time for travel in China is that it's Chinese New Year. Now, uh, your New Year, if you're in the Western world, was, uh, you know, 23 days ago. But the uh, Asian world goes on a, basically it's a double calendar. It's a little bit like, like cheating. Like, for example, Annie, she has two birthdays. She has her lunar birthday and she has her Gregorian birthday. And uh, so, you know, you kind of, well, why didn't you wish me happy birthday? I says, well, I wish you a happy birthday on your birthday. She's like, well, it's my second birthday. <laughs> so they get like two dinners, two birthday sets, two, you know, happy birthdays, two cakes, two sets of candles and two New Year's. They have the typical New Year, which they celebrate here, but it's not as uh, it's not as celebrated as the Chinese New Year. The Chinese New Year is when everybody goes home for the holidays, no matter what, and uh, is able to spend some time with their family, uh, particularly uh, factory workers, um, because uh, Chinese New Year is, is like about a week off. But the factories were factory workers, most of them are migrants, especially in Ningbo. We're a coastal city of China along the East Coast. And these, um, these migrant workers have only really one chance per year to have enough time to, to, to take off work, to go to the train station, to get on the train or a bus and make their way all the way across the country, you know, estimate it from New York all the way to, you know, Los Angeles in some cases by train or bus uh, to spend time with their families. You're talking, you know, 48 hours, sometimes more of travel, sometimes a few days to even get on a train. I'm sure if anybody's watching the news around now, they're probably talking about the biggest migration and mass migration of humans in the world every year. During Chinese New Year, when everybody, you know, uses this time to visit their family, we're talking billions of, of people moving across a single country. So everybody takes off this time and this, the entire country shuts down. If you stay in Ningbo, which is what I did a couple of years ago uh, when I first moved to China, it's really like a ghost town, not a lot of cars in the street, not a lot of people around because we're a coastal city. Most of the migrants leave the city and the interior cities actually become more populated during the holidays. But the Ningbo's, the Shanghai's and some of these coastal cities end up em emptying out and <laughs> I'm going to empty out with them. <laughs> I remember, uh, I remember my first, my first 
Chinese New Year or second one, I think it was, uh, it was nonstop fireworks. Uh, they have since regulated fireworks within the city limits, but uh, it sounded like World War Three for the for like 72 hours, literally day and night, all fireworks. Don't even try sleeping because <laughs> they'll be there was one firework came into my apartment window. They, they would hit the windows. They would sometimes that, that one time they it came in the window because they just they just shoot them off everywhere. Anyways, I'm not going to be here for that. Me and Annie are going to take off and we'll be in Krabi. There's a lot going on with that story, too. And uh, I might have Annie on a uh, podcast here in the near future. I'm contemplating that because uh, she might have some interesting things to say about uh, her life and uh, her opinion of my lifestyle as well. And I'm sure all you guys probably wonder what that is as well. I have been uh, neglectful on... uh, on my videos, I uh, I have a bunch of videos of me and Ryan on our recent uh, adventure when we were going together. Uh, some are really beautiful. As a matter of fact, Ryan was uh, talking to me uh, yesterday because, you know, that Facebook's fun because it gives you these kind of three-year ago updates like this is what you were doing three years ago this is what you were doing last year this is what you were doing you know and you you kind of it's it's a really um it's kind of like that accountability thing i said last uh podcast the fact that if you can kind of remind yourself by saying to other people that you care about what you were doing you constantly want to improve yourself right or what you are doing if it's not as good as what you want yourself if you're if you're not living the life you want you can like put the word out and then say okay well i put the word out to people i care about that means that i should uh improve myself because i don't want the people i care about to have a negative view of me well having these kind of throwbacks you can say oh my god i can't believe i, I was doing such an amazing thing three years ago or oh i can't believe how happy i was three years ago and you can kind of say oh i gotta be that way now again you know it's kind of motivating and uh, it it was a pop up of me and Ryan, um, and the funny little story we we were in Indonesia backpacking, and we went to a small village. I'm not going to overindulge the story; just kind of uh, give you the points. We were in this village called Pinan. Uh, <sighs> what an amazing moment. This is probably a turning point for my life as far as understanding the value of travel, because we walked through this little village and now, uh, I just had a backpack. It wasn't a cycle tour or anything. We were literally just bussing it and, uh, finding ways uh, from place to place. And we, we went to this Pinan place because we were in a city called Padong and we wanted to take a ferry to an island called the Muntwai Islands, which were really famous. If you've ever seen that picture of the palm tree on the beach that kind of goes parallel to the beach, it goes up and then turns and goes parallel to the beach. And that beautiful, perfect palm is, you know, pops out like a firework right over the beach. And it's this weird kind of like tropical paradise looking thing. Well, this picture was taken in uh, Mentawai. Ryan and I wanted to go there and check it out, but there was a ferry that only left every four days. We, it had just left. Uh, 
So we tried to kill some time. So we went to, wanted to explore around. We ended up going to this place called Pinan. It was a small village, not a lot of people there, uh, very quiet. And uh, we took the bus, the bus through the, the jungle to get there. And we started just walking around. First thing, we found some food. Well, we ended up meeting this little, little islander, islander, little, little, he was a doer, man. This kid was a little rock star. I, I, I'm fearful where he is now because he looked like he could have gotten into some trouble in life because uh, he was a little bit brazen. And uh, I think he was running with a bit of a rough crowd. But when he saw us, he had these big black sunglasses on. He thought he was the coolest dude. And he had, when we met him, he had these like, he painted his face like a cat. He had whiskers and everything painted on his face. And he comes up to us, you know, and he's like, you guys want anything? And uh, at the time I was smoking these things called cloves. And, uh, and I, you know, he's like, I'll get you some smokes, you know, and here's our little runner want some beer you know whatever you want man i'll get it for you and so joe was our little our little buddy and so we met up with joe and then and then he left and we started walking through the city and we walked along this school and think of all of these kids and they're in these pink i think purple pink uniforms the little girls are wearing little burkas uh indonesia is very muslim uh Sumatra's the main island in Indonesia. And uh, we're walking down the street and we look into the schoolhouse, you know, just, just looking at uh, different places. When we look over, there's a schoolhouse. And in the windows are these little pink uniforms, you know, through the tinted windows. And they're all looking out at us, which to them is just an oddball sight. And uh, they... I mean, crowding the windows, you can't, it's, it was wild. And no matter class was in service in session or what, the entire school, hundreds of children pour out of this building into the street uh, and along the fence of the schoolyard. And they're pointing and laughing and staring and giggling and, and uh, Ryan uh, at that point introduced me to an amazing, uh, traveling experience, which is using your English skills as an opportunity to travel. And so he, he says, Hey, let's go to the English school, which was adjacent to the, to the elementary school and, uh, offer our services. And so we walked into the English school and the kids, I mean, it was like, something out of a movie they 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 swarmed us and they and they just wanted to see us and look at our big round eyes and our faces and and i i i ended up finding out that that there was probably only one foreigner in the last couple of years that even goes to pinon and uh so to have a couple of guys like us walking through is really an amazing sight for them and so we offered our our services to teach an english course in uh and in response we could get a place to stay and uh, room and board by the the school uh headmaster and uh, we bartered our services 
and these kids you know, just swarming us, all this purple and pink and uh, the burkas everywhere and big smiles. And I'm picking the kids up and, you know, taking pictures with them. And uh, Ryan's laughing. It was it was a really uh, amazing experience. It was one of the most beautiful traveling experiences I've ever had in Pinan. And I think Ryan would agree. It was spectacular. Um, the, the house that we ended up staying at just as an aside was, um, put up for by the headmaster. Basically it was a friend of his called Eddie. Eddie is this little guy that walks around with a a tiger tooth on a, on a necklace around his neck. The tooth is a tiger that he himself killed. And, (laughs) and the, um, uh, this was a few years after the uh, typhoon or tsunami that killed, the, you know, three hundred thousand people in Indonesia, and he was credited with saving the town because he was one of the first people to notice that the the tsunami was coming, and he warned everybody. He had, he had this whole storybook in his house. He has a he has a twenty foot alligator in the backyard named Charlie that he feeds piglets, that he traps himself. He's got m- stories of wrestling monkeys and a jar of uh, vir- virility drink that me and Ryan drank with him that was a concoction of um, beer, a large deer fetus, uh, a horse, seahorses, and a, uh, what was it, uh, like a leg of an octopus or something, marinating with some bananas, marinating in this large mason jar, clear, clear, clear jar for like years <laughs> all together. And we, we all took shots of this thing. Apparently it was supposed to make your dick hard but uh, or huge it didn't either, <laughs> but it wasn't, it didn't put us in the hospital either. So it was, uh, it was all, it was all well and good. I have that on video too, which is kind of what draws us back to the beginning with, with the videos. But let, let me finish the Pinon story because our goal was to sweat out some time before we went to the, uh, the Mentawai Islands and took the ferry from Padang. But what happened was the English class that we were teaching, um, in the English class was the daughter of the regent of the area. I think regent is like the way Indonesians kind of refer to mayor. And so the regent, um, through, through the daughter, I, I approached the daughter and said, you know, we'd really like to know more about your village. Um, and I'm like to make videos during this whole time. I have the video camera. I'm making videos about everything. This whole experience I'm describing to you is on tape. It's a beautiful story. I've got at least 30 stories, beautiful world stories on videos sitting on a hard drive waiting to be, uh, developed. It's, it's a, it's a struggle. I wish I could develop everything and I I will. It's just going to take time. Anyways, I, um, I tell the daughter of the regent that I'd like to take a tour of his her, her her village, and if her dad would be interested, maybe he can help us point out some locations. And if he wants, I can make a video about his village, and uh, we can barter services. She pitches it to the regent, and the regent ends up saying, "Oh yeah, that would be great." So he takes us to some amazing places. He takes us to a. Uh, a, a bridge made out of tree roots that spans this little jungle river that 
initially the the monkeys built long long ago but as like because the monkeys would swing across the river and a couple of those swings actually got caught on the other side and then as they kind of strung across the roots wound around these kind of stanchions that the monkeys had had swung across the river then as humans started to live in the area they continued the process and pretty soon you had this huge root bridge that could be walkable. You could literally walk across this thing and it was usable and it was beautiful. And it was now overgrown to the extent that it was almost like a, like the thickness of a of a large tree that, that was growing, you know, parallel to the, to the ground across this river. It was beautiful. And, and I, we jumped off the bridge into the river. I did actually, but uh, then then we went to a waterfall with these beautiful pools where all these local kids were bathing and playing, and and I'm I'm jumping off rocks with all these little local Indonesian kids, and uh, we're we're all playing games. It was beautiful. After that, we went to. Uh, 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 like a kickback road that went up one of the steepest uh, hills in the area. It was slower, sort of like a mountain, but not a mountain, just just a very steep hill. And at the top of this hill, you got this, probably the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen. I've never seen so much color come off of the sky over the horizon. And it reflected onto the ocean, which spanned out as far as the eye could see. And me and Ryan jumped and out of just, it's just pleasure and I'm trying to capture a picture of us jumping with the backdrop of this beautiful sunset and we're sitting with all the locals and everybody's drinking and enjoying and it was just amazing and so we we told the regent you know hey we'd like to get to um we'd like to get to the Mentawai Islands that's our goal but the boat leaves in a couple of days we still have a couple of days to kill and he says oh you're going to Mentawai Islands? Well, if you're interested, me, the uh, police chief, the commissioner, the governor, and a couple of other political elites are going to take one of the uh, Coast Guard vessels on a squid fishing trip uh, overnight, and we're going to go to the Mentawai Islands. If you're interested, why don't you come with us? You can come on the fishing trip with us. <laughs> you know, if you're open, if 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 you are in this world and you are open, truly open to possibility, fate, karma, whatever you want to call it, can deliver you exactly what you need in a way so much greater than you could ever plan, you know? And so... uh Okay. <laughs> no, no questions asked. So the next day we taught some, I think we taught again and uh, we decided to join the political elite on this uh, beautiful, not beautiful. It was a big use. It was a big Coast Guard boat, uh, not a ship. It was a boat and, uh, but it had a nice cabin below some rooms, food. Uh, this is Indonesia. So there's no alcohol. When I say drinks, it literally drinks coffee or whatnot. They love coffee in Indonesia. And so we went out on this boat cruise. It would have been so nice to have some beers, but no beers, no beers, just a bunch of guys with some uh, hand reels, 
handrails by that mean I just mean a big spool of uh, line. You basically unspool it, you throw it out, and then as you catch something, you spool it in. And we set off uh, that evening, the next evening, uh, on this boat. And as the first thing we did, we went to an island, did some swimming, uh, this little remote island. And then we got back on the boat and we started moving out. And all of a sudden, this boat slows down as we're like really, in my mind, embarking on this trip. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering why we're slowing down. And uh, I, everybody's rustling about. We had about, I think, about 15 guys on the boat total. And they were all like police people, you know, uh, people involved in law enforcement or uh, or governors or, or the high up guys. And so the uh, the boat slows down and I get up and I start talking to people and Ryan and I figure out that uh, we are taking a little side trip to capture some illegal fishermen who were fishing in an area they weren't supposed to. There's an island out there called Turtle Island, uh, which is like a, a natural preserve. And the area around this island is restricted for fishing. You can't fish there. And uh, so we we ventured out and we uh, pulled up alongside and we asked for the papers and the, 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 the sirens going, the police lights on the Coast Guard boat are going, uh, a couple of the guys have guns, you know, at the ready. And it goes from a little fishing trip with some some cool cats to a uh, Miami Vice episode. <laughs> and me and Ryan are in the middle of it, you know, in our shorts and tank tops, you know, tans and backpacks. And uh, again, I got it all on, on film. Me and Ryan both have, have it on film. It was, it was amazing. We took that boat, we uh, sent it in, we uh, stripped it of his uh, permits, and we said, if you want to pick him up, you got to go to the uh, to Pinon to uh, ha- haggle with the police and, and, and pay a fine or whatever. We did this three times, and a couple of times we actually paused the entire trip and forced the boats to go in, and we actually took the boats into port to... Uh, to confiscate their boat <laughs> because maybe there were repeat offenders or something. It was really an amazing experience, much better than the ferry ride from Padong to Mentawai. I mean, we had a show, mind you. I mean, this was a <laughs> this was an amazing experience and much better than a lazy ferry ride to the island. We ended up making it to the island and having a great time, but that boat ride was just one of the points in my life where I can say, wow, this is, this is, this is what life should be. This kind of moment to moment experiential grin on your face lifestyle. And, uh, Facebook pulled Ryan's timeline up where we were resting alongside the impounded boat in the dark and he's got a grin on his face and it's kind of subtitled, you know, we, we're impounded this boat, you know, with our new friends from, uh, Pinan. And, uh, that reminder on Facebook made me realize that one, I have to make sure that I always live that kind of a lifestyle Two 
that I don't let the uh, rat race catch up with me and end up becoming someone I don't want to be. And three, I've got video of all that stuff. <laughs> I've got this all on video. This beautiful, this weird, amazing story. And then I started like looking through my old video and, 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 and saying, you know, I've got this story. I went to New Zealand that, that is a beautiful, has all these amazing stories alongside it. And I had the camera rolling the whole time. I've got these stories of Thailand and myself backpacking alone through Thailand. And I mean, I've just got some beautiful stories and, uh, they're hiding in my hard drive. And I told Ryan, I'm like, Hey Ryan, I've got that on video, man. Someday I'm going to make that. And he's like, make that. Man, we've got some beautiful rides just recently on the on the trikes that uh, I haven't seen, uh, you know, on uh, on YouTube yet. So it, it reminded me, you know, so I, I, I think with this podcast, I'll put up uh, one of the rides from um, uh, that me and Ryan had on our recent trip. And I'll just kind of like uncut because, you know, I, I don't like to just throw videos up without context, you know. Uh, otherwise, they're just a couple of trikes riding down a hill as opposed to a story of the two friends riding around and whatnot. And uh, it takes time to develop a story, you know, and to form it as, as, a, as a good storyteller would. But uh, him saying that kind of, kind of made me think, God, I just need to... I just need to put it out there because otherwise no one's ever going to see it. I don't think it'll lose so much context because like, for example, the Thailand story is going to be amazing. Even if I produce it in a few years, it won't, Indonesia is still going to be there. Pinan will still be there. It'll probably be very much similar to the, to that. Although I do notice that I am much more fit and I have a beautiful head of hair <laughs> Not beautiful at hair, but I do have more hair than than I do now. I'm looking at it right now. A lot of smiles in these videos. Anyways, I'll post one of these downhill videos for you guys to check out and uh, kind of uh, live vicariously through that moment as a teaser for the uh, video that will come. Um, but I, I think I think the next travel log because the video that I shot with Ryan was not substantial enough to make a real travelogue out of. I think that I'll actually incorporate the story of Ryan hurting the knee training for Everest. And I'll, I'll, I'll make that all into one travelogue and it'll, it'll like cover, you know, a few months. I think that's the way that I'm going to have to do it. And maybe while I put it together, I'll find out that it could go into a couple of different pieces, but either way, that's that's what I'm gonna do. So um, I got a good trainer. I've got a good regiment. I'll be ready for Everest, uh, and I'm going to in Thailand uh, with Annie. So uh, the next subsequent podcast, I'll bring the microphone and I'll bring all my stuff, and uh, you'll be hearing me from paradise, and maybe even get some introduction into Annie and have her say hello. Anyways, uh, hang loose and uh, stick with it. And you know what? Take this moment and hear that story and start thinking back on maybe what you were doing a few years ago. Find a moment in the past that you were really happy 
and really content and you were doing something amazing you might not have really thought would reveal your uh, reveal so much in your life whether it's a vacation or a surprise of some sort and reflect on that and make sure that you're there or greater because if you're not uh, steps can be taken to make it there so Jayo I will talk to you guys later uh, bye bye you have just listened to the Jayo Nation podcast a podcast that follows me, Matthew Gallant, as I work my way around the world, checking off bucket list items along the way. Eventually, I'll get on my recumbent trike, and I'll make some headway on my journey that will take me around the world, from China all the way to the United States, through 100 countries. You can find me on my website, jayo.com, that's J-A-Y-O-E. Check me out on my Facebook page, Jayo Life or simply go to YouTube and type in Jayo. Thanks for listening, and I hope to catch you on my next podcast, coming to you from Krabi, Thailand. Jayo. Jayo.